Hey, good morning. Great to be here with you all uh, today. I just want to say that I do love uh, Jared and Devet Ming. They've been some of our dearest friends now, as Pastor Jared said, for like 17 years. And uh, we just love doing life together with them. And it's so amazing to see uh, all of you here. And it's just this amazing church. And uh, can we just give a hand for your pastors and just... Just love them and honor them. Uh, as he said, I'm from Hawaii, from the big island of Hawaii. Uh, the, that's the one with the volcano. And we are, uh, I, I, I told the first service this morning, I knew I was in Los Angeles when I heard somebody say this morning, yeah, it's raining. And <laughs> we live in a wet place. You know, we get about 150-something inches of rain every year. So it's very green, very wet, very different than here. But I'm from Hawaii and pastor a church called Arise Church and... My wife and I have been doing that for about eight years now, and uh, we're in transition in our church. We're actually, we've gone from having buildings to now being mobile, so we're setting up and breaking down and getting ready to build our, our own place to call home, so uh, that, that's where we are in life. I'm here, my, my kids and my wife are with me uh, this morning on this trip. They're still at the hotel room. You know, the kids decided they were going to intercede for dad in groanings that can't be uttered. So I'm, sh I'm sure my oldest is still in deep intercession right now, but uh, they'll be here at the next service. But uh, we're all together and just spending a couple of days here, uh, Thanksgiving with family and uh, just honored to be here and the opportunity to speak uh, into your life. You know, this morning being here, uh, I, I just really thought to myself, you know, what, what is it that I want to share on? And, you know, sometimes you go to different places, you do want to find something kind of exciting and, and, you know, you want people to feel good about themselves. And it's not that I don't want you to feel good about yourself, but I really feel that God wanted me to speak on kind of a, I think a more serious subject this morning. And it's simply about discipline, the necessity of discipline. Can we all say that word together, discipline? Discipline. discipline. So I want to talk to you about discipline and the importance of it. This isn't a message that's a parenting message per se, but I really want to hit it from the spiritual side of it because I believe that we all need discipline in our life. If we want to be who God has called us to be, we need to be uh, people that are open to discipline, people who realize that it's important that there are the right people speaking into our lives to help point us in the right direction. Do you agree with me today? Yeah. All right. So if I say something that's really good and you're with your husband or wife, you do have permission to elbow softly this morning. All right. First uh, Kings 1.5. Uh, I want to read this story. This is about King David's family. And this is at the end of King David's life. Uh, it says, about that time, David's son, Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, began boasting, I will make myself king. So he provided himself with chariots and charioteers and recruited 50 men to run in front of him. Now his father, King David, had never, everyone say that with me, never, he had never disciplined him at any time, even by asking, why are you doing that? Adonijah had been born next after Abs Absalom, and he was very handsome. So uh, if we put this into our language today, you're going to find out that King David's son, Adonijah, was a good-looking, spoiled brat. All right, that's the best way you could say it. His dad never corrected him ever. Ever. He was the prince, so nobody else probably ever said anything to him ever. He could do whatever he wanted. And he was a good-looking guy. And you know, at times people will put up with certain people because they're good-looking or they're talented or they have certain abilities. And I think this is where 
he fell into that category and he basically decided himself, you know what, I could always do whatever I want. I want to be king now. My dad's getting old. I'm going to be the king. And he began a series of events that when you look at his life, at the end of his life, he died prematurely because the way he lived costed him his life. You know, Adonijah lived a life without boundaries. He, li- he lived a life doing whatever it was that he wanted to do. And you know, people outside of church will look at Christians and, and they'll say, you know, well, the Bible, it's just an old book. It's just a book of rules. It's just a book of regulations. Why would you listen? And I want to tell you this morning, church, the Bible is a book that's filled with principles, time to proven principles, that if you implement them in your life, will give you boundaries, not so that you could be bound, but that you could live a life freer than you could ever imagine. And you might know people today who live life the way they wanted to live, and they look back at it now and they say, I wish I did it different. I did whatever I wanted to do. I wish I did it different. I'll tell you, you'll be more free when you listen to what God has to say in our life. One morning I was reading this, Proverbs 12.1, to learn you must love correction. It is stupid to hate correction. And I read that, and that word really stuck out to me, love. You have to love correction. If you want to learn, the Bible says, if you want to get smart, or in Hawaii we would say akamai, Hawaiian for smart. If you want to get smarter, you have got to love correction. Here's the problem. Most every one of us here don't love correction. We don't like people telling us what to do. Isn't that right? I think it's just our human nature. I got three kids. I'll tell you, not one of them love me telling them what to do. And I've had people that have told me things, and, you know, I can be nice. I can fake it. I can smile. And on the inside, oh, okay, thanks for letting me know. But inside, I'm like, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? So rude. Be quiet. Go sit down, you know. And we kind of think that way. Because there's something about when there's correction, our human nature is kind of to want to push back on it. But the Bible's saying, if you want to learn, if you want to gain wisdom in life, you gotta, you got to love in correction. you got to learn how to embrace correction. Proverbs 23, 9. Don't waste your breath on fools, for they will despise the wisest advice. Proverbs 10, 17. People who accept discipline are on the pathway to life, but those who ignore correction will go astray. We need discipline today. We need it. You know, you think about a loving parent. A loving parent will correct their children. And correction in the family, it actually can take time. It can be inconvenient. But if you love your kids, you're going to have to learn how to correct them. I had to make that decision that I was going to be the one to correct my kids. I want to correct them because if I don't, it's going to be a police officer. Or it might be a corrections officer in prison. Or it might be a judge. And I want to do all that I can right now to speak into my kid's life. Why? Because I love them. Because I want to see them succeed. I want to see them get farther than I've ever got in life. And, you know, it's the same with Higher Vision Church here and the leadership here. They want to speak into your life not so they can bind you up. But it's because they want to see God's best in your life. They want to see you succeed. They want to see you prosper in what you're doing. And they love you today. You know, Proverbs 13, 24 says, Those who spare the rod hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. And you know, in my 
family, I have a 16-year-old, a 13-year-old, an 11-year-old. And in my entire parenting career, as I was preparing this message, in my entire career as being a dad, never once have I brought correction to one of my kids, maybe even gave him a little spanking. Never once have I had my kids come back to me about five minutes later and be, you know, (laughs) Father, I I just want to say thank you (laughs) from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to correct me because I realized that my attitude was really bad (laughs) and that you went out of your way because you love me and you want me to be a better sibling and a better child. And Father, anytime you or mom need to do it, I just want you to know, go ahead, because I want to be better. Never once. Promise to God. Never once. In fact, can I tell you the most said line in the Carmichael household when there's correction given in between my kids is simply this, what about them? What about them? That's not fair. They made me do it. I know we kind of laugh, and if you got kids, you're going to laugh because you've heard that line. What about them? But how many spiritually, what we would call mature adults in the body of Christ are living life and correction comes, and it simply comes back to the same, what about them? What about them? What about my, what about my husband? Yeah, you're correct, but what about my husband? What about my wife? They made me do this. They made me do that. And what happens is there's just a deflection of correction rather than hearts that are open to receive correction so that we can be better, uh, better Christians, better people, better husbands, and better wives. And we push back why correction can be painful. Or I should not can. Correction is painful. I've never been corrected and it not be painful. A couple of years ago, I actually injured my shoulder um, going to the gym, you know, lifting weights. I, I tore my labrum, that's kind of the padding between your, your shoulder and, and the, the joint and all that stuff. And it, it basically came off. The doctors said, you know, it will never heal itself. So this is how you're going to be unless you get surgery. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm one of the biggest wimps when it comes to surgery. I have been traumatized by nurses um, in the IV process. You know, I, I've actually thought that. I know they got to give you the, the shots to numb you. I'm like, is there something to numb you before that shot to numb you? That's what I always think. Like, why? We've, we've come up with great inventions in all the world. Can somebody make that one? That's the one I want. And so I, I was afraid because I, I, I knew I needed the surgery. But then I knew I'd have to get IVs and I'd have to get this and I'd have to get that. And, and I even had a panic. Never in my life had I had a panic attack before until this one nurse one time was trying to give me an uh, IV in my right arm. I still remember it was like five minutes and I was just laying in the bed watching TV, being calm. I, it, was, it was the home channel and I was breathing and I was like, you know, and, and she's doing it and she's poking me in and out, in and out. And I still remember at the end she goes, okay. And I thought, thank God it's over. She goes, okay. I'm going to have to call somebody else here now because I just couldn't do it. And I wanted a soccer one in the head. You know, I, I broke out in a cold sweat. I'm like, I'm like gagging. I never experienced that in my life. And so going to get surgery, I knew I was going to have to go through all that stuff. But I just kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. It got so sore. I couldn't go to the gym anymore. Couldn't swing a golf club anymore. I couldn't even turn the light switch on with my left hand. That's how sore 
and painful it was. I was waking up about 15 times, no kidding, at night while I was sleeping, and the pain was just so bad. And finally, I got to the point where the discomfort of where I was was greater than the discomfort of getting it fixed. And I said, I, I need to get this done. And so I went and got the surgery done. They went in there. They did all this stuff. Can I tell you, two days after the surgery, I was in the most pain that I've ever been in my life. When the nerve block wore off, and all, it was the worst pain. A week later, it was still the worst pain. It was so sore. It was incredible how painful it was. But, you know, I stand here today almost a year of having the surgery done, I look back and I realize that where I am today is better than where it's ever been. And that if I had to do it all over, I would have got that surgery done two years ago. Although it was painful, it made me better. And I think that there are so many of us that we simply have to get sick and tired of being sick and tired of where we are in our life. And where we begin to realize that the pain of being corrected and allowing people to speak into our life it's going to be worth it because where we are is not happening. Where we are, we're not happy. Where we are, we realize that we're just at such a place of unrest. And getting to the place where we say, you know what, God, I'm ready. I want to open my heart. I want to let people in that love me, people in that want to see the best in my life. And I want them to begin to speak into my life. God, I want you to begin to bring correction. Why? Because I want to learn. I want to get better. It's painful, but I tell you, it's so important that we learn to embrace it if we want to get ahead in life. I would say this is that discipline and discipleship go hand in hand. Discipline and discipleship. In fact, you look at that word discipleship. You take the first couple of letters in there, that's like discipline. You, can, you know that it's come from the same thing. And it's, it's that thing of saying, look, if you want to be a part of Higher Vision Church, you know what? There's going to be discipleship involved in that. There's going to be discipline at times involved in that. And not because the leadership here is trying to control your life. It's simply because they want to see you prosper in every area, in your marriage, in parenting, in your job, in all that you're doing. And so that dis discipline and discipleship. And there's too many Christians that just have thin skin. They're just thin-skinned Christians. They're offended by everybody and everything. And to be that true follower of Jesus, we're going to need some thick skin. Come on, can I get an amen? You read, you read, you read the, the Bible. You look at some of the things Jesus told his disciples. How many know that half of us probably would have left already? Jesus, you hurt my feelings. You needed some thick skin. And you know, today we got to get some thick skin. We got to make the decision today. I want some thick skin in my life because I want to grow. I, I want to be in that place, not where everyone offends me, but where I can receive correction and I can grow in my walk with the Lord. So today, let me give you a couple of things. Um, I got eight, eight, eight points, and they'll be very quick. Number, the first four is this what keeps us from discipline? What keeps us? From discipline, or if I could say it this way, what keeps us from acquiring knowledge? Because again, the Bible says if you want to get smart, you're going to have to love correction. So what keeps us from that? Number one is this, our hurts. Our hurts. Maybe you've been hurt before. You've had people that have not disciplined you, but they abused you. Maybe spiritually, physically, in any way, you've experienced abuse. And so now you put up walls because you want to protect yourself. And I, and I understand that. But do you know that our hurts can be keep us from discipline from any at any sign of confrontation you put up the walls and you begin to separate yourself and i think there's so many of us that have got to get to that place maybe you've been in another church where they hurt you 
And now you've come here, and we've got people in our church like that that say, well, oh, I've been hurt at the last church. I don't know if, how much I want to get involved here. I don't know how much I want to do this or do that. And, and again, I get it. Take a time to heal and to reflect. But when it's been three years already, it's time to move on. You've been at that church, and, and that happened. Okay, this is a different church now. God's brought you to a new season. Don't keep putting up the walls. It's, it's time to let your walls down and it's time to grow in your relationship. Hurts can keep you from receiving correction. If you took a plant and you took that plant in your yard every week, you dug a new hole and moved that plant around, you know that plant would never reach its full potential. You may never even get fruit or flowers off of that plant. It's got to grow. It's got to be planted in order for that fruitfulness to come. And how many Christians are going from church to church to church to church because they're hurt, they're offended, they can't receive correction, and yet they wonder, why aren't things in my life changing? Why, why isn't there fruit? Why, why am I like this? you got to let it grow. When the storms come, you, you keep growing. When the pruning comes, you know pruning is when they cut, they chop, they... Get rid of stuff off of that tree. What's it, what's, what is it all for? So that there can be fruit. And you know, here in the, this church, I believe that your leadership, they want to see you have fruit. And at times it's going to take pruning. It's going to take correction. It's going to take fertilizing. It's going to take things that, are, that you may not feel comfortable with at times. But it's all so that you can bear fruit and you can prosper in your life. And I want to encourage you today, don't let hurts keep you from discipline. The second thing is this, is our insecurities. Our insecurities. The way maybe we perceive ourselves or how we think other people might perceive who we are. Our insecurities that when you go and you correct people, you begin to think, well, everybody hates me. Everyone always hates me. Everyone in the church hates me. They don't like me. They, they, you know, I, I don't think I want to be here anymore. And you begin to withdraw. Or maybe it's not that you withdraw, but insecurities can also cause people to attack. Did you ever realize that? And out of their insecurity, they attack back. And when you're trying to bring correction or correction trying to come into your life, you attack. And it stops the discipline that God wants to bring. Number three is pride. Our pride, and we all deal with pride. Pride just simply thinking, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You know, I, I deal with that all the time. Again, I, I'm not like a, you know, I've never told anybody off in my life. But in my head, I've told people off. You know, I've, I've gone there. And uh, I've, I've had some incredible fights in my head. You know, I've, I've, I've beat lots of people up in my head. And, you know, I've, I've traveled the last couple of years, traveled a lot. And I just got kind of, my patience have just... If you work for the TSA, God bless you. You're doing a great job. But you guys drive me nuts. And I, you know, flying in, and maybe, you know, not here, but in Honolulu, our airport is just a little hectic there with all the people coming through and international, and, and it's just crazy. And, and I'd be traveling and coming back from uh, Japan, and you got to take your bags out, go through customs, you got to get them checked back in, and go through security again, and I'm already tired, and I'm grumpy, and after being on the red eye, coming back, and you get back, and then the, you get to the TSA, and they're just absolutely rude. They're so rude, and, and they'll be telling me, you know, like yelling at me. You can feel like that condescending tone. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And, and they're like, you know, hey, you got to take your shoes off. And in my head, you know, I'm like, I know I got to take my shoes off, but you guys don't vacuum this carpet all the time. So I'm going to wear it to the end and I'll take my shoes off so I don't get my socks dirty. Easy for you to say, you get to walk through here with your shoes on. I'm thinking those things. I'm a pastor. 
right? And they're telling them, hey, do this. Put your bag here. Take all your water. No, 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 no. I'm like, I know what they're going to do. I flew, I've flown so many times. Who do you even think you're going to power trip? You don't even got a real badge on. It's like sewn onto your shirt. <laughs> Thinking all those things. God had to deal with my heart. It's like, this is pride. It's pride. Can't allow those people to speak into your life. He said, like, man, they're just doing their job. I'm sure it's a tough job. And they're going through whatever they're going through. It's that pride can begin to, to keep correction out of our life. And we can have that in church. Correction comes. Like, who do you think you are? I've been here longer than you've been. I've been serving longer than you've been serving. I've been a Christian longer than you've been a Christian. Who do, who, who do you think you are to tell me? Who do you think you are? And here's the fourth thing is our blind spots. Our blind spots. You know that we all have blind spots in our life? Areas that everyone else can see, but we can't see. You know, in football, they talk about the blind spot. The quarterback always has that blind spot, the area that, that he can't see. The area that he can get hit on. In fact, I read this. It says that teams put a premium on keeping the quarterback from being sacked from the blind side and will go to great lengths to acquire effective blocker, blockers for that side of the offensive line. Blindside hits can be the game changers for the defense because of the high chance of a turnover since the quarterback is unaware of the hit and will often have the football exposed. Some teams will use rollout plays to get the quarterback away from the blindside and minimize the pressure coming from that direction. Can you imagine being, you know, you're playing, imagine some 250-pound guy hitting you without even knowing how that can wreck you. There have been quarterbacks and concussions, and they dropped the ball. They're injured because they got hit from the blind side. They couldn't see it coming. And you know that we all have blind sides in our life today? Areas that we can't see that people can see. The way we say things at times. The way we maybe criticize certain things at times. And everyone else can see, wow, they're pretty bitter about that. And we can't even see it. And we got to realize today that we, like everyone else, we got blind spots. And I've, I've received correction before from people, from dear friends, and things that I thought, no, that's not true. But I just received it. And I think about it, like three days later, I'm like, you know what? That's true. I never saw it that way. I can't believe I was acting that way. I can't believe that my, my paradigms were shifted we're uh, shaped in that way. It's amazing when we begin to realize that we have areas that we can't see. I'll tell you this, a real friend, a true friend will always tell you when you have something in your teeth. <laughs> Isn't that right? My wife does it all the time. She just did it last night after dinner, you know, she was saying, anything in my teeth? Anything in my teeth? She does it all the time. And you know, if my wife if someone else is there and she's talking and she had something in her teeth and I never told her because I never saw it because she wasn't talking to me, you know who gets in trouble? I get in trouble. <laughs> me. Why didn't you tell me there was something in my teeth? I didn't know. I didn't make you eat the broccoli. That's your fault. <laughs> People can be all concerned about what's in our teeth. When's the last time you asked a real friend, do you see anything in my heart? Is there anything in my heart? Is there maybe any attitude that I need to change? When is the last time? I, I'll tell you, probably it's been a long time, when you said, is there anything that I could change? Is there any correction I can receive so I could be a better person? I'm not saying you just ask anybody, but I'm talking about those close to you, your friends that love you, that want to see the best in your life. 
See, a true friend will tell you the truth. And so where does correction come from? Number one, correction comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart every single day. Hebrews 12, 5, Paul says, And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. How many know that, that the Apostle Paul had a different view of what discipline is really about? Because when you read that, he says, don't, you for, don't forget the encouraging words. He's going to punish you. Don't forget the encouraging words. If you're going to be a child, he, he's going to scold you because he, he loves you. He had a different view of what discipline's about. He said, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few good years, doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. You know what God basically says to us? is that if you're going to be my child, I'm going to correct you. You're, I want you to be a part of my family. But if you're a part of this family, correction is going to come. You know, even in our household with my kids, they know they're a part of the family. What does that mean? I'm going to correct them. I'm going to scold them. Why? I want to see the best in their life. Have you ever been to the store, maybe at Walmart or Target, and you've seen that little kid, you know, the one that's laying on his back, screaming and crying? kicking on the floor, wailing his arms because he can't get the toy. You know, and then mom's there just standing there. Oh, Charlie, come on, Charlie, get up. I said you can't have that toy, Charlie. Come on, we're going to go. I'm leaving you. And the kid just keeps going, ah! Have you ever seen that kid? And you kind of think, oh, give me a couple minutes with Charlie. <laughs> I've done it. I've walked by those kids and I give them stink eye. When the parents aren't looking, of course, right? You're like, I've done it. God forgive me. You know what? That's not my place to correct those children because they're not mine. That's, they're not mine. Why? Why would I? Why would I? That's, that's the parent's job to do. That's not my child. I may not agree with it, but I'm not going to correct it. But I, my daughter did it one time. One time in her life. One time. Never did it again. I won't tell you what I did, but she never did it again. <laughs> Why? Because that was my daughter. She was mine. She was a part of the family. You know what God says? If you're going to be a part of the family, correction is going to come. You know, if you're going to call higher vision your church, you know part of being the family is receiving correction and discipline. And in fact, if you say, I'm going to come to this church, but then you reject every form of discipline that God wants to bring, you know what the Bible says? You are illegitimate. You are not a part of the family if your heart isn't open to the correction that comes. Because it goes hand in hand. Discipline is a byproduct of belonging to the family. And that's a sign. It's, it's almost like the token. If 
that I'm a part of this family because I'm corrected by them. I'm a part of this family because I allow them to speak into my life. And what happens is so many times, you know, I don't know, I'm talking about my daughter so much. I told my kids, I told her, I said, they said, can you stop talking about me? I said, what if every time I talk about you, I give you $5? Oh, that's no problem. So I owe her five bucks today. But um, I remember when she was younger, we would scold her, right? My, my daughter in the middle, uh, one, one daughter, two boys. So she's our little drama queen. This is what she would do. She would go into the little corner. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I hate you guys too. I'm glad I had just one daughter. We kind of feel that way when correction comes. Everybody hates me. This is what God says. No, it's because I love you. It's because I love you. Don't fall into that kind of thinking. I love you. That's why I correct you. The second area of discipline can come from is from our families, our spouses, our parents maybe, those closest to us, to begin to talk with them. Your spouse has the best perspective of who you are. They know your blind spots. You know, I've even asked my kids at times, you know, what, what can I do to be a better dad? What can I, what can I do? And they, they let me know. I wish they'd say, Dad, since you asked that, what can we do to be better children? They've never asked that. But um, <laughs> our families, our families can bring correction in our life. Number three is our peers. Your peers, your friends. Those that are sitting here today. People that you love and people that you know love you. Because there are some people out there that don't have your best interests in mind. But people that you know, they love you and they want to see you succeed in life. You know, it says in James 5.16, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. When you look at that verse, you know what it really, what it's saying is that we go to Jesus for forgiveness, but we go to each other for healing, for healing in our life. And that's why it's so important that you're connected in your circles, in your groups. And I tell our church all the time, get into the groups. Church has to go beyond just a weekend experience. We need people in our life, people that can sharpen us, people that we can talk with, people that uh, we can build relationships with, people that we can begin to trust, people that can begin to speak into our life about things maybe we need to change, and people that can begin to facilitate healing in our life. We need each other. You need relationships. And here's the last thing, is simply this. Correction comes from spiritual leadership. Spiritual leadership. I know the leaders you have here, they're wonderful people. Pastor Jared, Pastor Wayman, the team here, they're great people. You need people that can speak in your life from that spiritual point of view. I've had people that come to me and say, hey, we want to meet with you. We're thinking about being a part of your church. We'd love to ask you some questions. So I'll meet with them. But I always ask the same question to these people. At the end, I said, you need to ask yourself this question. Am I the guy that you can receive correction from? I've done that from the beginning. I mean, when we were, you know, seven years ago, I still remember asking this one, am I the guy? And here's and what I tell them. Because if I'm not the guy, you need to go find a church with a man or a woman there that can speak into your life. Because it can be the difference between life and death. Literally, the difference between whether or not your marriage survives the difference of whether or not your kids will serve the Lord. Am I the person? And it's not from a controlling point of view, again, that we're trying to get in everyone's business. But I'm just saying, if you're going to be a part of this spiritual family, there may be times that I have to correct you. And if you can't receive it from me, then go find somewhere that you can. And I'd say the same thing here today. Open your heart to the spiritual leadership that God has placed in your life. Don't be so closed off. If God, if you really believe God has placed you here, it's here. You're here so that you can grow. 
And there may be some pruning. We just read it. Correction is painful. It's painful. And you may not like it at the moment. But I tell you, if you hang on and you endure, you're going to begin to learn. You're going to begin to grow in ways that you never could have imagined. The spiritual litmus test, I heard somebody say this years ago. It always stuck with me. The true spiritual litmus test of how spiritual someone is, is not whether or not they pray for people and they're slain in the spirit, whether or not they speak in tongues or they can prophesy or see visions. If you really want to know how spiritual someone is, how do they receive correction? How do you receive correction? Because I've talked to some of the most spiritual people and brought correction, and they left in a huff, and they're angry, and they're gone. You're like, wow, I didn't expect that. It says here in Hebrews 13, 17, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. And over the years, I've met with people who've wanted to meet with me for counseling, but you come to find out really all they want is your blessing or your, your, uh, uh, your permission to do what they've already decided that they're going to do. And if I can tell you today, church, when you come to your leaders and you're at a major decision point in your life, don't come with your mind made up. I would say come with an open heart and just say, this is what I'm thinking. This... this I'm, I'm thinking maybe this is the person I'm going to marry. Maybe this is the direction we're going to go. Maybe this is what we're going to do. What do you think? And I would just say take that counsel. Take a couple of days and let God speak to you through that. I think we've got too many people who just come and they say, Pastor, I'm marrying this girl. I'm marrying this guy. We're just letting you know and will you bless it. And we never let people speak into our life. And I don't know how many times, and it's not because I'm so smart or I know everything, because I don't. But I don't know how many times I've looked back and I met with people. You try to talk them out of something, but people ultimately make their own decision. And six months down the line, you see where they are and you just think, I wish they listened. I wish they listened. I think some of the biggest problem or biggest challenges for people in life is that we hear God speak to us. We hear the call, we mix up when the send is. We mix up when we're supposed to step out into it. And sometimes godly counsel can just say, you know, I believe God is speaking to you, but maybe this isn't the time. Just hang on a little more. And you'd be amazed how better and how different your life can be when you let spiritual leadership, people that love you and want to see the best for you, speak into your life. Amen. Can you bow your hearts with me today? I want to just pray for you as we close in prayer.